Good morning, everyone. Hey, uh, before we get going for the message today, I just want to say a huge thank you from not only myself and my family uh, for last Sunday. What a wonderful celebration it was um, with many, if not all of you here uh, for my installation. I'm very, very excited to jump into this journey with you together. So I worked really, really, really hard on this sermon this Sunday, okay? So I'm just going to start with this. We're all sinners in need of Jesus. Took me all week to come up with that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But as you saw in the bumper video, Lent is a time to consider this very simple, very basic, but absolutely foundational aspect and reality to our lives that we are all sinners in need of Jesus. And you may be thinking, Well, we're in Lent, so is this the only time of the year that we actually are supposed to examine this with any kind of intentionality? Of course not. All of life, every single day, is filled with little Lents. Opportunities to examine ourselves, to say, God, where have we fallen short? Where are we in need of your grace? But most importantly, to look to God in confidence, trusting that he'll actually forgive us. And yet, here we are. And yet, Lent is a time to reflect, to slow down, to examine our mortality, to say that, yes, we were created from the dust, and one day to dust we will return. We are sinful, and we are in need of Jesus. And so, despite examining these things in our lives, we look with confidence, we contemplate the sacrifice of God for us through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And so for us today, my prayer is that the Spirit of God would fill this place and would open our hearts and open our minds to the sin-forgiving grace of a covenant-keeping God. So as we jump in, uh, that was a mouthful of a scripture reading for this morning, wasn't it? Silas, you did a great, Silas, you did a great job, man. But it was a long one, all right? So let me give you a little bit of context for what Daniel was saying in that particular scripture reading for today. Israel was staring down exile. Their holy city of Jerusalem destroyed. For them, it's like everything was going to be lost. They were completely abandoned. They were going to be separated from God. And this is Daniel's job to say, hey, Israel, it's going to hurt. He was to inform them that they were going to experience physical and emotional and spiritual and mental separation from the land of Israel, the land that was promised to them and given to them by God. And perhaps some of you know how this feels. Perhaps some of you know what it feels like to be exiled from a place you once called home. I've never experienced this, really. But I did spend a few weeks in Uganda almost eight years ago now, while we were adopting one of our children. And I was there for three weeks, and I could barely handle it. Separated from my home, from my family, from my wife, from my kids, and it started to eat away. I could feel the emotional drain, the physical task of trying to wake myself up every single morning to keep pushing forward. And that was only three weeks. Like, that's nothing, right? And yet, if you've ever experienced it, You know how all-encompassing and how it just drains both body and soul. But if you've never felt exile, if you've never been exiled from a particular place, 
I bet you still know what it's like to feel those same feelings when we think about the ways that we interact with God. And that's because sin exiles all people from God. Our sinfulness separates us physically and emotionally, spiritually and mentally from the one who gathered the dust and breathed life into it and created each and every one of us. And yet as what we heard in the words of the prophet Daniel this morning and what we've heard already here this morning and what we will hear throughout the pages of scripture is that even though our sinfulness exiles us and separates, from God, separates us from God, we receive the promise that he never abandons us. He never turns his back on us. He never forsakes us because he is a sin-forgiving God who always keeps his covenant, who always keeps his promises. And this is the tension of what Daniel is trying to teach Israel and what he's teaching us this morning as well, that yes, we are to confess our sins, and yet we're also to have full confidence that God hears us, that God answers us, and God is good to redeem us. Daniel takes on the role of confessing for the sake of all of Israel, for all of the people. And to be quite honest, confession isn't that complicated. You know, sometimes like we hear Dawit, he's singing about confession, you know. We're kneeling, we're praying, and it can feel a bit complicated sometimes. But it's really not. Confession is just owning up to our mistakes. Being like, hey God, man, I messed that up, didn't I? Right? It's just simply saying, I'm sorry, and I know that can be difficult, but it's most certainly not complicated to just tell the truth and to take responsibility. This is what Daniel is doing. Israel is unfaithful. They are unrighteous. And so Daniel speaks to everyone from the princes and the kings to the priests to the rulers and to the regular people like you and I, and he says, we must confess. And I think sometimes when we hear these scriptures read or we read them for ourselves, it's easy to point the finger at Israel and be like, yeah, you did mess up. Like, you guys keep screwing up over and over and over. Israel, when are you going to learn? And yet, we have to turn that finger that's pointing out the shortcomings of Israel into and toward ourselves in the ways that we can be faithless too in the ways that we act unrighteously, just like they did. Paul really hits this nail on the head when he is writing to the church in Rome, and he says this, As it is written, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. So like Israel, how often have we turned away from God instead of turning toward him? Like Israel, how often have we closed our ears to God's word instead of leaning in closely to really listen? See, the worst thing that we can do in our relationship with God is not sin. That's going to happen. He expects this of us. The worst thing that we can do in our relationship with God is abandon him and his promises, to turn away from his voice, to run in the opposite direction, to refuse to follow. This is all Daniel is showing us this morning, that when we make a false step, when we go in a different direction, we just need to turn right back around and come to God. 
When we say this is the righteous ways of God as he's given them to us in his word, to not ignore them, but to embrace them as difficult and tension-filled as they must be. To pursue the path of discipleship instead of engaging in rebellion against God. And yet, if we're being honest with ourselves, it's going to happen. No one is righteous, not even one. And this is what Daniel refers to specifically with Israel as their public shame. Now, who doesn't love a good public scandal? Right? We love scandal. We love to see where people fall from grace, lose their popularity, right? As long as we're not involved. You know what I mean? I like, to, I like a good public scandal as long as it doesn't touch me. And yet in our sin, none of us can escape public shame. Before God and before all the company of heaven, they see us in our everyday lives. We can't run away from it. We can't escape it. Our disobedience results in sin, and it opens us up to shame and embarrassment and scandal. And yet God invites us to bring all of that with us before him and before his face. And so this is why Daniel connects confession with confidence. He says we can come before God confident that he will hear our confession and forgive us. The way that the Hebrew describes this public shame is a confusion on our face. Like we think we know what we should be doing, but we're not really doing it. And as a result, we're embarrassed by it. And if you've ever been embarrassed publicly, you may blush or you may cower. You may try to hide your face, right? But God is faithful to us. As a matter of fact, he says he makes his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to us, to look upon us with his favor, to see us face to face. Despite our public shame, God says, I will put my righteous and holy face toward you to grant you my peace. These are the words of the benediction. Every single Sunday, you're offered this blessing that despite public shame, God turns his face towards you with grace and with compassion. That's why Daniel can be so confident, why we can be so confident to come before God and to beg him for his forgiveness, trusting and knowing that he actually will give it to us, not out of fear, not out of anything else to say like, well, maybe he won't. He actually will. We just simply can appeal to this character of God that he's proven time and time again throughout history that no matter how badly his people rebelled, no matter how many times they turned away, no matter how often they closed their ears and they covered their eyes, God said, return to me and I will turn my face to you with patience and love and mercy. This is the unique relationship that we have with our God as his people that we can come to him and that God will always be steadfast, immovable, patient according to his covenant. Now I have a few tattoos. And the first tattoo I ever got was an important one. And it's right here on my forearm. In the Hebrew, it's Kilo Lam Chazdo. God's mercy endures forever. And do you want to know why I got it? To remind me that no matter how stupid I am, God's mercy endures forever. 
That when I'm tempted to run away, I look down, ah, God's mercy endures forever. That no matter how often I rebel, no matter how foolish I may be in my life, there is something permanent to say, don't be foolish, return to God and his promises, for he is steadfast. Josh, despite your sin, Josh, despite our sin, we can always turn to the one who will always turn to us. And what, a bet, what, what better reminder of this sin-forgiving grace of our covenant, of our promise-keeping God than the legacy of the exodus from Egypt in which Israel was exiled for over 400 years. What better reminder for us today to once again put the responsibility for redemption on God. Is that a thing out here to say on God, like I put something on God? Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? If you don't, to put something on God is to say, hey, I'm going to put it all on the shoulders of God because I can't do it. Or even if I fall short and fall through on this promise, he's going to make sure, right? Some, some of you maybe back in the day said, like, I'll put it on my mom, but let's leave mothers out of this. Instead, let's put everything on God. Because to put something on God is to promise something to be accurate or true because of his faithfulness, not because of ours. We can put all of our sin, all of our rebellion, all of our disobedience, all of our righteousness on God. Every time we turn away, put it on God. Every time we, for, we refuse to listen, put that on God. Every time that we disobey, put it on God because God is righteous. God is faithful. Righteousness, mercy, and forgiveness, that's what belongs to him precisely because sin belongs to us. And this is good news. I know it doesn't feel that way to hear that we're sinners, but it's good news because exactly because we are the sinners, God is the one to forgive us of that sin. And just as the Lord saved and redeemed and delivered Israel from their exile, where they were separated from him, from their slavery, God saves, redeems, and delivers you from your exile in sin. God turns away his wrath and his anger, not according to your righteousness, but because of his sin-forgiving grace, according to his steadfast love, his covenant promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you. God shines the favor of his face upon you, not because of your character, but because of the character of his sin-forgiving grace and according to his covenant love with you. God listens to your confession, whether it's during Lent on Sundays or every single day of your life with steadfast, loving kindness, not judgment or anger or condemnation or wrath because of his sin-forgiving grace and the covenant of his love, the covenant of the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And so when our wickedness arises. 
When our rebellion comes up, when our disobedience tempts us or even perhaps exiles us from a healthy relationship with God, be confident in confessing your sin. Be confident to turn toward him, cry out to him, admit to him, appeal to him with that simple and not overly uh, complicated confidence of Daniel's prayer where he says, oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, turn. Oh Lord, listen and act. Oh Lord, forgive. And boy, does God hear. God listens. God acts. God most certainly forgives. Unlike Israel, we don't have to look to the promise of a return to a specific place or to a land to call our own. Instead, we have the promise of a God who came in the form of Christ, becoming like us, fully God, fully man, not to lead us to a place, but to lead us to himself, to lead us to the foot of his cross, to pick us up from the dust with his bloodied, nail-pierced hands, and to promise us the eternal presence of God, never exiled again in his kingdom forever and ever. The self-inflicted wounds of our own sinful behavior have been reconciled by the very wounds of God himself on the cross. This is the sin-forgiving grace of the covenant-keeping God, that he would not only die for us, but that his death would defeat our death itself, that his resurrection from the grave would give us the gift of an eternal resurrection, eternal life according to his everlasting covenant that was never broken, never taken back, and will never end. On the cross, Jesus says, signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. And rising from the grave, he whispered into all of creation, you're mine. May that whisper of life fill you with the confidence of victory over death now and victory over death when Christ returns. May the sin-forgiving grace of the covenant-keeping God present to you with the gift of life guaranteed, signed and sealed by his own name, the name of Christ Jesus. If you've ever seen a baptism, Before the person is baptized, the pastor marks them across their forehead and over their heart with the sign of the cross, marking them as one who is redeemed. So when you feel the itch to disobey, when you're restless and tempted to rebel, when you close your eyes and ears to God's word, perhaps when you turn away from the path of discipleship, when the evil one lies to you and tries to convince you that you're still in exile, that you're separated emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually from the love of God, you can trust that God does not, God has not, and God will not ever abandon you. Like Daniel, let us confess our sins daily and turn to the cross with confidence because he is faithful to forgive all because of Christ, only because of Christ, and always because of Christ. Or as once again, as Paul encouraged the church in Philippi, and I encourage myself and I encourage you this morning, not that I've already obtained this perfectly or have already reached the goal, but I press on. On to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Amen. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, you are the sin-forgiving God who keeps everlasting covenant with steadfast love, immovable, never lacking in patience, always abounding in grace. Remind us this morning of our baptism in which you called us your own, a people called by your name, signed by the very blood of Christ upon our foreheads and upon our hearts, an everlasting promise that you would never leave us. You are always there for us with open arms, welcoming and ready to forgive. Keep us in your grace. Fill us with your spirit. Inspire us to follow you to the foot of the cross, not just for this Lent, but every day of our lives. Amen.